Let's open with a word of prayer. Shall we? Father, Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for the opportunity that we have to come together as a people in a nation that is free. A nation that we have the freedom to worship You without fear of persecution or retribution. Father, You've blessed this nation. And we ask Your continued blessings upon it. We pray, Lord, that as we enter into this week of prayer, uh, approaching Thursday when we have our national day of prayer, I, I ask, Lord, that You would hear the prayers of our people and that You would bless this nation. That this nation would continue to turn toward You. And that You would lead and guide it as You lead and guide Your church and Your people. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. I wanted to read you an excerpt this morning from one of my favorite books. It's called Biblical Preaching by Haddon Robinson. And Haddon Robinson is a, is a preacher at, uh, he's, a, he's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he wrote a book on preaching. He's written a couple actually. And uh, this book in particular has had a, a good influence on me and, and my preaching and how I uh, uh, conduct myself in the pulpit. But he, in his preface to the book, Biblical Preaching, he uh, made mention of a quote by, by a man named Matthew Simpson. Matthew Simpson wrote the book Lectures on Preaching. And I wanted to read you this quote. This is one of the more powerful quotes I've ever read. And so I, I'm going to read it slowly. I want you to, 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 to just bask in this quote for a moment. Matthew Simpson, uh, this is Haddon Robinson quoting Matthew Simpson in his lectures on preaching. Simpson says this. He's speaking about uh, the preacher. He's speaking about the preacher. The one preaching. Simpson says, His throne is the pulpit. He stands... In Christ's stead. His message is the Word of God. Around Him are immortal souls. The Savior, unseen, is beside Him. The Holy Spirit broods over the congregation. Angels gaze upon the scene. And heaven and hell await the issue. What associations and what vast responsibility. Concerning the preacher, Simpson writes, His throne is the pulpit. He stands in Christ's stead. His message is the Word of God. Around Him are immortal souls. The Savior unseen is beside Him. The Holy Spirit broods over the congregation. Angels gaze upon the scene, and heaven and hell await the issue. What associations and what vast responsibility. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what it's like were we to lift the veil and see the spiritual world around us while the Word of God is being preached. 
preaching. Preaching the Word of God, friends, is one of the most preeminent of all commands in Scripture. Preaching the Word is one of the most astounding, the most remarkable, the most basic fundamental mission that God has given to the church. To preach the Word. And not just for the preacher. I want to make that very clear. That command is not just given to a pastor or to an elder or to some teacher. It's given to all of us to go forth and carry the message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ is our preeminent mission. We are all preachers. I preach from a pulpit, but I also preach when I'm having coffee with someone who doesn't know the Lord and I'm sharing with them about the Gospel of Christ. I may preach from a pulpit, but you also, when you share Jesus Christ with another, you are preaching. You are carrying the message of eternal life. And angels are gazing upon the scene as you speak. The Holy Spirit is brooding over that conversation. The Savior is beside you, and heaven and hell await the issue. You preach. You preach too. Today we're finishing the Gospel of Mark. And in the last two verses, the last two verses of the Gospel of Mark, the fundamental theme is preach the Word. Preach the Word. The title of my message today is Mark It Well. Preach the Word. Mark it well. Preach the Word. Let's open our Bibles up to Matthew or Mark chapter 16, beginning in verses 19 and going to verse 20. Uh, we're just looking at two verses today, but there's a lot in this. And let's, uh, let's, let's read it together. Mark 16, verses 19 to 20. This is at the very end of Jesus' uh, earthly life. He's already been raised and He's about to be ascended to the Father. And here's what it says in verse 19. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, that is the disciples, He was received up into heaven, and He sat down at the right hand of God. And they, the disciples, went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the Word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Now, the terminology at verse 19 is worth looking at here. In particular, the last phrase there where it says, Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. I wanted to take a look at that briefly. Uh, God's right hand is often mentioned in, in the Scriptures as a place of power, a place of truth, a place of strength, a place of wisdom. When it speaks of God's right hand, it's, it's usually speaking of a, of a, of a mighty act on His behalf that he, that he has done, or the truthfulness, the veracity of His Word. It's upheld by God's right hand. Now Jesus, in verse 19, is said to be seated at God's right hand. What does that mean? 
seated at God's right hand. I, I know we've, we've seen that before. I know we've heard that before. But what does it mean that Jesus is seated at God's right hand? In particular, I kind of want to ask the question, what is He doing there? What is Jesus doing at God's right hand? A couple things. First, Jesus is receiving exaltation. If you're taking notes, this will be on your outline. He is receiving exaltation at the right hand of God. He is being praised for His glory, His power, His righteousness, and His mercy. And Hebrews 1 draws this out completely. We're not going to turn to, some, to these references today, but I want to give these to you for further study. He is receiving worship at God's right hand. What else is taking place in the heavenly throne room. Two, He is interceding. Interceding. Jesus is advocating and mediating on our behalf before the Father. Romans 8.34 speaks of Jesus uh, hearing our prayers and mediating them between us and God the Father. Jesus is in the middle, so to speak. When we pray to Him... He hears our prayers and He mediates. He intercedes those prayers before the Father, helping us gain ear, gain the ear of the Father, gain, uh, gain an answer from the Father. Jesus is our advocate at God's right hand. He is interceding on our behalf. That is what He is doing at God's right hand. Three, Jesus is leading and He is empowering from God's right hand. He is leading the church, according to Ephesians 1. And this is done most notably by sending the Holy Spirit to believers that we might be gifted and equipped for service. Gifted and equipped for service. All of these references that I'm giving you mention that Jesus is being seated at the right hand of the Father doing these things. Seated at the right hand, leading the church. Seated at the right hand of the Father, sending forth the Spirit that we might be gifted to serve. That we might be filled. Four. This is a peculiar one. And I'm taking a little bit of liberty with it, but He's applauding. He's applauding at God's right hand. Jesus is celebrating those who overcome in His name. Uh, Acts chapter 7 speaks of Stephen. The story of Stephen being beaten, being stoned. And as he's looking up into heaven, who does he see? He sees Christ at the right hand of the Father. Only this time, Jesus isn't seated. This is the one of only two times in the Scriptures where it says someone was standing at God's right hand. Jesus was standing. And Stephen says, I, I looked up and I, and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And I, I, I liken this to applauding. Jesus is rising up, looking down, and applauding the overcomer. Applauding the faithful one. Cheering them on. Psalm 109 speaks of Jesus standing and being the advocate of the poor. The advocate of the marginalized. What is Jesus doing at God's right hand? He is applauding the faithful, the overcomer. When we do well, he stands in recognition. The angels rejoice. Fifth and finally, Jesus is preparing. Jesus is preparing a place for those who believe in Him. And He is awaiting the Father's command to descend again to earth to judge the enemies of God. He is preparing at God's right hand. 
These five things, perhaps not exhaustive, but nevertheless gives you an idea of what that means when we say that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. These are the things that He is doing at God's right hand. Back to verse 19. Let's read it again. So, so then, after the Lord had spoken to them, that is to say the disciples, He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Mark kind of indicates here that, that, that there was more to the story than he perhaps records. He says Jesus spoke to them a little bit more. These words that Jesus spoke to the disciples before He ascended are found in Acts chapter 1. And let's, uh, let's turn there briefly. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I wanted to read some of the things that Jesus said before He ascended that Mark doesn't particularly record, but it's found in Acts. It says this, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. The disciples asked in their final conversation, their final earthly conversation with Jesus Christ before He ascends to the Father to be seated at the right hand of God, they ask Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Let me translate that. What the disciples are really asking is, Lord, when will justice be served? When will justice be served? Lord, we are tired of Rome. We are tired of Caesar. We are tired of oppression. Lord, we are tired of our own leaders. We're tired of the the Jewish aristocracy. Lord, they failed us. They've led us astray. They've persecuted us. They've harassed us. They've killed You. Are You at this time going going to restore the kingdom to Israel, to true Israel? To the real Israel? The ones who really follow You in truth? Lord, when will justice be served? What about the issue of justice? How is the Christian to respond to a desire for justice? Justice in the Christian. You know, it, uh, our nation in uh, our nation has 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 been founded on largely the concept of justice. Freedom and justice. Justice for all. And uh, we are a nation... Uh, I, I speak about... Tom and I, we speak about this a lot, actually. Uh, and Tom, Tom's right on the money on this issue. Uh, he he uh, is frustrated, I think, by uh, how highly we esteem our desire to be venge, uh, avenged and to bring, uh, to bring justice to ourselves and to emphasize our rights, what we get, what, what, we're, what we deserve. Tom, uh, Tom kind of has an aversion to that. Uh, it's, 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 a, 
It's a component of our nation's heritage that we really emphasize personal rights, personal freedoms, justice for all, uh, taking vengeance on those who do wrong against us. But from a biblical standpoint, when you look at the Scriptures, inasmuch as those are uh, things that will one day come to be in the kingdom of God. Jesus will avenge. Jesus will bring justice. Jesus will bring to right all that is wrong. But in the here and now, in this earthly life, the Scriptures tell us, don't strive for that right now. The Scriptures tell us, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. The Scriptures tell us, don't look to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. The Scriptures tell us, don't seek your own justice. Don't exert your own rights. Instead, become a servant. Become a slave of all. Mark 10.45 For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. You want to talk about the only man who deserved justice. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. The God-man. And yet even He did not seek vengeance in His earthly life. He went to the cross. He came to serve. Not to be served. Friends, Are you seeking justice? Are you living your life waiting for justice for some wrong in the past? Some friend who's wronged you? Some situation, some environment in which you've been wronged? Don't seek that. This is not the time to seek that. Jesus says it's none of your business right now. Lord, when, when will you at this time will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He says it's none of your business. It's not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father has put into His own authority. It's not the time for that. Now is the time to serve. Now is the time to give. Now is the time to be humble. Now is the time to be a slave. Leave justice. Leave the timing of justice in the hands of God. Well, what then are we to be doing, Lord? What then are we to be doing if not seeking justice? Acts 1, verses 8 and 9 says this. But you shall receive power, Jesus says. He continues. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to Me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now when He had spoken these things, while they watched, He was taken up and a cloud received Him out of their sight. The last words, the last impression Jesus gave before He ascended is to say, don't seek your own justice. Don't seek your own rights. Don't seek to get what is yours. Seek to be My witnesses in all the world. My witnesses. That is to say, preach Me, Jesus said. Preach the Word. Tell others who I am and what I offer. And this makes perfect sense, friends. That Jesus gave this as the preeminent 
mission of the disciples, it makes perfect sense. Why? Because it's precisely what Jesus did at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. All the way back in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law and had gone on to heal many, many people during the day. They were bringing sick people. They were bringing the demon-possessed. They were bringing cripples and lepers and all sorts of people were being healed. It was a day of healing. And then night came. And then morning the next day. And Jesus went off by Himself for a while. And Peter came and found him, and this is what the story says. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there He prayed. And Simon, Simon Peter, and those who were with Him searched for Jesus. And when they found Him, they said to Him, Everyone is looking for you. But He said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose I have come forth. Everyone is looking for you, Lord. You had a whole day of healing yesterday. My mother-in-law, Peter says, wow, I'm so happy you healed my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law, all right. And so many others that you have healed. That you have taken away their infirmities. You've brought healing, Lord. Let's do it again today. Why are you up on this hill all by your lonesome? Let's go heal. Jesus says, no, let's go into the next town. Let's go into the next town that I may preach the good news. Because for this purpose I have come forth. We preach Jesus right now. We don't seek justice. We don't seek vengeance. We don't seek our rights. We seek to be witnesses to Him in all the earth. Just as it was Jesus' purpose when He came. We seek to preach Jesus. And I ask you, are you preaching Jesus? Are you telling others about Jesus? It is your fundamental mission. It is not relegated to a specific spiritual gift. No, no, no. Taking the Gospel to all the world is for all of us. Are you preaching Jesus? Or are you more likely to seek your own vengeance, your own justice? Verse 20, And the disciples went out and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the Word through the accompanying signs, Amen. Jesus told the disciples to preach. And Mark says that's exactly what they did. They preached everywhere. The Lord working with them through the accompanying signs. It says in particular, they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the Word through the accompanying signs. Confirming what Word? Well, the Word of the Gospel, of course. The Word of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Word of the Good News that Jesus is Savior. The greatest Word of all, the Word of God. The disciples were preaching the Word. And that Word was being confirmed by accompanying signs. Now I want to ask you a question briefly. Which is greater? Which is greater? The Word or the signs? Which is greater? The Word or the signs? The Word. 
The Word is greater. Why is the Word greater? The signs were no doubt magnificent. We spoke of them in the last message. Tongues, healings, laying hands on the sick. Snakes. Thank you, Tom. (laughs) The, The signs are no doubt magnificent. I imagine they dumbfounded the crowds when they saw these physical signs. But friends, remember this and always remember this. In the end, doing signs, performing signs, in and of themselves, do not save the sinner. It is the Word of the good news of Jesus Christ that must be heard and received in faith in order for a person to be saved. The Word is greater than the signs that accompany and confirm it. So what does this tell us about miraculous signs? It tells us this, whenever God works in a miraculous way, the purpose of that sign, the purpose of that miraculous act is to draw people's attention to the Word. The purpose of the sign is to confirm the Word. The supernatural power of God is displayed in the world to point people back to the Word that saves them. Where they find something far greater than just physical healing. In the Word, they find eternal spiritual healing by faith in Jesus Christ. And that is why Jesus, given the chance in our previous story in Mark 1, given the chance to go back to town and heal, or go to the next town and preach, chose the latter. The Word is greater than the sign. The Word is greater than the sign. The sign is meant to point men and women back to the Word. Friends, I know that we, we, we pray. And we pray for great things. And this morning we're going to pray in a few moments for great things. We're going to pray for healing. We're going to pray for reconciliation. We're going to pray for God to work in mighty, mighty ways. But friends, whatever God decides, whatever is His will, let us not become so discouraged because a sign might not be performed. Because the Word is greater than the sign. God may choose to heal, and He may choose not to. But the Word is greater than the sign. I want to finish uh, just with some summary statements here today. We've been through the Gospel of Mark now for a, a year and nine months, and we're done today. We're done today. How many of you uh, were here for every sermon? Raise your hand. All right, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you, Marianne. All right. <laughs> what has the Gospel of Mark taught us? I want to finish with this. What, at the end of the day, what can we learn from this great, precious truth that we've learned in the Gospel of Mark? I have six things I want to share with you. First, Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He beckoned people to become full kingdom participants with Him. And I'm asking us, are we kingdom-minded people? Jesus was not merely looking 
for us to become saved by faith in Him. Yes, that is what saves a man or woman. That is what justifies them. By faith in Christ are we saved. But Jesus was looking for more in the Gospel of Mark. He wants more from you. Are you going that extra mile? Are you a full kingdom participant? Two, Jesus healed and He performed miracles. But the entirety of His sign ministry was to point people back to the Gospel He preached. And I ask us the question, do we put more emphasis on God's sign or God's Word? That is an important lesson from the Gospel of Mark. Three, Jesus was the Messiah, Son of God. The highest conception of Messiah in the Jewish mind. But He spent much of His life redefining Jewish preconceptions about Him. They got Him wrong many, many times. They misunderstood Jesus many, many times in the Gospel of Mark. And I ask us, what preconceptions do we have about Jesus that may not line up with the Jesus of the Bible? When you come to the Word, always come afresh. Always come expecting to learn more about your Savior. Because we can put Jesus in a box really, really quickly. And I think that uh, I think the Jews of Jesus' day did that often. They put Him in a box. They had preconceptions that were hard to break. I'm asking us as we approach the Word to learn about Christ, expect to learn something new about Him. Four, Jesus eschewed, He shunned religious traditionalism. He found the spirituality of the Jewish religious elite to be void of meaning. And I ask us, are we simply going through the motions in our Christian faith? Or is our faith alive and fresh? Are we just doing the standard? Or is our faith vibrant and alive? Five, Jesus repeatedly taught that the path to glory begins with suffering. Huge theme in the Gospel of Mark. Though a king, he did not come to be served, but to serve. Do we serve others? If you miss that, you've missed the whole Gospel of Mark. The path to glory begins with suffering. Six, and finally, Jesus loved the unlovely and the marginalized. He dined with sinners, touched lepers, esteemed women and children, and offered restoration to those who denied Him. Remember Peter. Do we ignore certain categories of persons? Or do we treat all people as if they are God's children? Friends, these are six, six things, six brief things that we can learn from the Gospel of Mark. Not exhaustive, but certainly I think six that, uh, that have made a, a big impact on me as I've studied throughout this book in these last almost two years. Thank you for joining me in this book. I pray that you would, uh, would recognize this truth and that we would be changed by it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we esteem Your Word. We thank You for Your Word. We know that preaching the Word is our preeminent mission. Taking the Gospel of Christ to the ends of the earth. Father, help us to do that. May it not just be uh, my task on a Sunday. May it be our task all the time. And Father, may Your Spirit be with us. Giving us words. Giving us wisdom. Helping us to tell others about the greatest news of all. That by faith in Jesus Christ are we saved. In Jesus' name we pray these things.